Hello and welcome to High Tea Security. This is episode three with the lovely Sean Wright, where we talk about AppSec, TLS, and Sean's desires. I uh, added that in just so it could be a bit, uh, bit <laughs> awesome. But uh, yeah, uh, Sean, if you'd like to kind of give us a bit of an intro to who you are, what you do, why you're kind of awesome. Well, thank you, Zoe. Uh, thank you for having me and hello to everyone. Um, I've always had a passion for security. Um, started off in development and, and branched off into security. Um, kind of started out in university, but we can get to that later. Um, I'm currently focused or lead security engineer. Um, focused on trying to make sure our, our company's software is secure. Uh, also co-leader of uh, OWASP Scotland. And yeah, I've always had a passion for security and focused on application security. Lovely. That sounds quite interesting. Um, I can't wait to hear all about it. But um, I just because I don't really know who's listening, um, uh, let's just go back a bit and explain very briefly, if you can, about what is AppSec? Sure. Application mm -hmm. So application security is focused around the security um, of applications that organizations uh, develop. Um, so as you can imagine, many organizations have their own development teams focus on developing software for themselves as well as possibly customers. So application security is the processes, the procedures, the tools, the training that you have um, involved with that development of software to make sure that the software being developed and provided to internal users and customers is secure, that it doesn't result in data breaches and um other possible uh, security implications um so it's quite a broad topic um it certainly covers things from testing um so your your penetration testing to secure coding so I think uh, secure development life cycle making sure that you're doing appropriate scans um tests before code goes out and as well as training, making sure that you're training your developers both in awareness um, uh, around security, things that they need to think about when they're developing, mm -hmm. um, things, just common vulnerabilities that are in mm -hmm. um, applications such as SQL injection, cross-site scripting, but also when you're designing systems that they design in a way that's secure. Um, and I, then- I like, sorry. I was oh, just going to say, I really like that you mentioned the training, the developers as well, because I feel like that's one thing that I always feel like I'm like telling everyone you need to do, but it's exciting to hear that you're also agreeing with that. That's really cool. Awesome. It, it's certainly a, a really, really important thing because all too often you might go, oh, developer, you have cross-site scripting or SQL injection in your code. Well, how are they going to know not to have it if they don't know anything about it? And mm -hmm. th this is a, a common thing that I've seen slowly changing, but certainly in my 
degree in that, we never learned about these things. So we came straight out of university mm. having little to no knowledge about security and, and secure coding, what it meant to develop an application in a secure mm. manner. Things like cross-site scripting and SQL injection were never part of our syllabus. So you have people coming out of university and you suddenly expect them to develop a system securely without this knowledge. So, mm. no, that's yeah. actually a really good point. I'd never even considered that. I mean, I went to college, uh, I don't know, quite a while back, um, not that long ago actually, but um, but that whilst I came into industry much earlier and then went to college after being in the industry for like four years, I never even considered, yeah, when I went to college, I didn't learn about cross-site scripting. I didn't learn about any of that when it came to programming. I just learned development. I mean, yeah. I wasn't, to be, to be perfectly clear, I was not in school for development. So I don't know if they touched on it with the developers, but no, that's a good point. I didn't learn that. I did learn network security, but I didn't learn programming. Or <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was in a computer science. That was my degree. That was my major. Um, yeah. And the only security that we touched on was in honors, and that was on more focused around network security. That's uh, interesting. So I think it is slowly changing, but I still think there's the the core consci uh, degrees in that still don't really touch on this. And yeah, hopefully that will change. Yeah. So. Lovely. Well, hopefully we can chat about it more all in this episode. And uh, then the universities and colleges and everything will jump on our security uh, boats and uh, teach all the things. So, okay. So what do you do then as an AppSec expert? What, what is your day-to-day -day kind of like? Well, day-to-day uh, -day is not a normal, I do this on every day kind of thing. It, it varies. Um, and I, I've always been part of a really small team. So mm -hmm. my role has been very diverse. Um, so I could be doing a penetration test one day and then suddenly focused on, I don't know, developing procedures and documentation another day to trying to set up some scanning or even developing tools for our developers to use. And I kind of like that about my, my role because I get bored easily. So <laughs> <laughs> having something that um, keeps my mind active, having a bit of difference really keeps thing, me on my toes. And mm. it may not be for everyone. Um, and this, this like not every AppSec team like is like this. Some are, are, are a lot larger, and now have defined roles in them. But certainly with smaller teams, you you have to make do with the the limited resources that you have, and you try to spread yourself out as much as possible. So yeah, I mean my day changes. I mean heck, the one day I was working, and within twelve hours on the flight to Canada. Um, that, that's how crazy my role could get sometimes. <laughs> it was just out of the blue. <laughs> well, I guess you're, um, what is it called? Jack of all trades and uh, apparently globe, globe trotter as well. That's exciting. Well, I, I'll, I will, um, anybody going into AppSec, I will mention that 
Uh, possibly it wouldn't be identical to your role because that does sound a bit <laughs> unique. Um, but no, that is good. That is actually interesting. I like I like the variety of what you do because um, that's that, that for me was the same. That was one thing that I couldn't handle or still can't handle is doing the day to day identical. I love the variety. Yeah. Um, I'm actually sat in a hotel uh, in Berlin at the minute because uh, I'm going to speak at a developer conference this week. Oh, that's so, amazing. Yeah, so it's actually quite cool chatting with you and then also going to chat to them. Um, I've always found the developer industry very, um, I, I mean, from my experience, to be clear, but um, I've always found it very welcoming and very um Oh, accepting of my like different skills because every time I've gone to a conference that's focusing on development and I'm like hey here I am security that was actually one thing that they all said is they didn't learn these things and so it's really interesting to them or hopefully really interesting to them so no that's really cool um did you always want to go into security uh, like apple application security or was it more of a uh, roundabout way of getting into it like me so my, my uh, interest in security started off in university um, as I mentioned we had that course in uh, on year and that kind of got me really really interested um, and unfortunately it was only a six-month course so it didn't really set me a strong foundation to basically walk into a security role and probably also the timing. Um, this mm. was the early 2000s, um, so my age. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, security wasn't as big then as it was now, it was, it was developing. Um, mm. So doing a CompSAR course, it kind of defaulted to the um, development route. Also mm. at the time, just, you, and I can understand students, they kind of, grab any opportunity that they can get just to get a foothold in and then grow themselves from there. And that's kind of what I did. Um, I grabbed the first opportunity, develop and raw, and I kind of stuck with that. Um, and then it was really uh, about eight years ago, I got a phone call asking if I'd be interested in having a, a role in the, my current company. And my current company is security focused. So to me, there was an ideal opportunity to kind of move into the security realm, or that was my thinking at the time. And thankfully, it worked out. Um, I did that move about six and a half years ago, um, and really, really happy I did. Uh, I wouldn't change it for anything. So yeah, uh, it's it's a passion that I've always had, and probably, hopefully, continue to have. <laughs> that's awesome no that I, I really like that actually because I, I I was very similar as well so it makes sense to me um, but no it, it's cool to like have a passion you know learn all you can about it and then realize actually I can go into this or I can do this and like kind of branch out from there because that depth of knowledge I find is even more valuable than necessarily having the best qualifications of the like most prestigious school or whatnot so that, that's really interesting well being as you've been in industry for quite some time you're you're a bit more of an elder um that actually <laughs> leads me to my next question is um uh, is actually a question that you you added that you thought would be cool is um 
the rise of rapid development and what that means with security. So I guess over the years that you have of experience, what, what would you say, um, you know, rapid development, how, how that really affects security and properly uh, embedding security, possibly by design? So it, it's kind of a case, so the rapid development kind of case where it could be either a really great thing for security or it could be a really, really bad thing for security. It all depends on how you approach it, how you embed security. Um, if you take a look back to the, the more traditional model, you had waterfall, which was very monolithic builds, big builds going out once or twice a year. From a security aspect, that was kind of uh, easier to get a, a grasp around. You knew you had a release on date X. Yes, it was very big, but you could allocate security resources on date by date X, um, test, make sure everything's fine, then release. Um, with the rise of rapid development, it's kind of a continuous-based release where you have things going down out possibly every week, maybe even every day. Um, so obviously you can't have a resource allocated to testing that. So this is where you have to start focusing on embedding security within your development uh, process life cycle. So you'd have your automated scanning, your code um, reviews using tools such as Vericode. Automate, automate, automate. And this can improve security if, if done effectively because you're gonna pick things sooner they will hopefully get addressed sooner um, and you have more scrutiny in the longer run because of all the automation. Um, so you probably get a, a, a lot broader coverage than you would typically with a very monolithic uh, release. Now, obviously, if you're not doing all those things, then things can go out really quickly and go south very quickly. But mm. point is, if you have a strong structured uh, security model embedded in your process, it can really help with security. Also, if you find issues, it suddenly is relatively quick to get those issues fixed and out the door versus a big monolithic release where you might even have to do patches and it's very cumbersome in that aspect. Because mm -hmm. now it's just another release. Yeah, no, that that's a really good point. Um, the more scrutiny bit, I really like that because, um, like I said, I'm at going to a developer conference, and whenever I speak at conferences like this, I always talk about, you know, the difference between waterfall and, I mean, you said rapid development, but um, a lot of people use agile. I don't know if those are interchangeable or not, but I know that they are used interchangeably. Um, and uh, and the one thing that always stood out to me is, from my point of view, I was like, well can't you do more now because you're doing it in smaller bits almost and so actually it would be easier to go back and a lot of the times people that are you know used to the whole waterfall effect um and like sorry the waterfall life cycle I could understand how they would see that as a negative um have you being as you've been in industry for a while did you start out with a lot more um waterfall kind of life cycles and then moved into rapid development or have you always kind of been more of the you know short sprints so my first job was coded production basically there was a mm -hmm. a very small company startup uh so very much that focus and that was even back still what 15 years ago or whatever um but then my next role was very waterfall model big releases 
you know, throw the whole QA at its very process orientated release. Um, next company was a startup again, so very dynamic. Um, and then current company I'm at, we've transitioned from a monolithic release to moving towards the, the whole rapid release. Um, I, I, I'd say the, the agile portion is getting even faster where you've gone to a point where you could have one-click deployments now. So you click a button, it'll run the automated test, do checks, put in a, another testing environment, do further checks, and then finally, if everything passes, then release into production. That's kind of where I think the industry is trying to move towards. So it's really important to get security embedded in there because there's a lot of opportunity to improve security, but the risks are very large if you don't do the appropriate checks. Mm-hmm. Now, that that would be so terrifying to me to just click a button, have automated tests, and then it would just go live. Maybe that's why I'm not a developer. <laughs> I don't think I could handle that. Yeah, but that's really interesting. What's um, being as you have that experience for both the waterfall and the rapid, what would your advice be for somebody that's trying to look maybe is currently in the waterfall and looking to go to more of a rapid development or maybe um, obviously with security in mind or or maybe is just considering if they could do it what are some really massive things that you think are important um when going into that or transitioning i guess sure uh, so i think taking i know it's going to sound counterintuitive counterintuitive but taking a slow and methodical approach to this don't just go okay we're going to go to crcd or rapid development or agile or whatever from waterfall you you need to have a path forward plan it out um, do your research get the appropriate tooling in place it's it's a lot of effort to move over it's it's not just something you can do overnight and you have to spend the effort to make sure you do it correctly because if you don't, you're probably going to face issues down the line. And they're not just going to be security issues. They're going to be things like uh, uh, availability issues. You'll have probably production issues, services falling over because there's, I don't know, performance issues and um, services just can't cope. So there's other aspects outside of security that you also need to take into factor. Um, so certainly do your homework, plan it out, get the appropriate tooling, get the appropriate uh, architecture, and also train people. Um, it's a whole different uh, way of thinking. You, uh, your planning, your development, the way you actually even prioritize things is going to change. Um, so it's also getting people in a position that they, they're able to cope with that. Yeah, no, that's a massive point. I, I love that is, you know, training is hugely important. Upskilling your employees as well as like, you know, putting that, um, I guess, valuing your employees enough to actually give them that training is really important. Yeah. And often I think it's a bit forgotten. I think especially in security, people just assume everybody knows. Like I, I'll get calls all the time from uh, uh, reporters and be like, oh, can you comment on this? And I'm like, 
honestly, I don't deal with those at all ever. And they're like, oh, but it's security and you're a security person. I'm like, yeah, security is a very big, big, big industry. Yep. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So 100%. And that especially that point you made about mindset. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, these hackers, they're these, you know, very magical, skilled people. And I'm like, actually, you know, you could be a hacker. You just, it's a mindset. It's the way you think about it, the way you view it. Exactly. I mean, everyone thinks the hackers are these geniuses and that some of them are, don't get me wrong. Some some (laughs) of the people out there are really like, wow. The way I view myself, I'm, I'm not anyone exceptional i'm not clever a lot of the things i've found is either i've been stumbled upon something or just different way of thinking how mm-hmm. thinking how you can use the system against itself is the best way i describe a hacker it, it's not trying to find holes here and there it's just thinking a different way thinking okay let me use the system you these features and see how i can use it against the system to get what i want your co-star in the background is cute. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, no, don't complain. I love it. Um, you want to give credit. Um, but it's uh, very, very awesome. Uh, but no, 100%. The way I describe it is um, uh, not looking at something for what it's meant to do, but what I can make it do for right. me. Yep. That's my description of a hacker. 100% agree Spot with on. that. Um, awesome. So, so if we're looking to move from waterfall to rapid development, the biggest thing is actually take a breath, think about it, and then continue. Don't just jump all in. Yeah. So probably I'm not the best person for that because I like jumping all in. <laughs> but uh, no, that's lovely. I love it. Um, so one thing that you mentioned when we were chatting about what we would talk about was asset management and how yeah. important that is to AppSec. So why why is asset? I mean, I know why I think it's important, but why would you say that asset management is so vital to application security? So th- th- there's a, a rule that I love for quotes or saying or whatever is you can't protect what you don't know about, um, and and that's something that I stick by quite strongly. And seeing so many times organizations get breached because of a service or old service that they were running or old software that was unaccounted for. Um, and you, you could debate whether this is really application security or network security or, or general security. But sometimes organizations have legacy systems um, and those legacy systems are not patched. They kind of put in a corner somewhere, forgotten about. Um, and a big problem with these is you probably have uh, resources that worked on them, had all the knowledge, they leave the company, change departments, and you suddenly have a service running there that no one knows about. And <laughs> Apache struts anybody? <laughs> uh, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say, well, the whole time you're talking, I was just laughing to myself, trying, like I had to put on mute because there have been so many situations where the whole instant is, wait, what? That exists? <laughs> I thought yeah. that was like destroyed years ago and oh my goodness amazing thank you for mentioning that because yep. yes I have been there I've seen it I've got the t-shirt and everything <laughs> awesome. so yeah know your stuff um I like to tell people that if they haven't documented actually if they don't have up-to-date documentation of their network then their entire network that is undocumented is shadow IT 
Maybe mm -hmm. it was supposed to be there, maybe it's planned, maybe it's known, but because it's not documented, it is not the actual infrastructure, it's shadow IT. And I know that a lot of techs view shadow IT as a really dirty word, that's why I use it. I use yep. it on purpose to make them feel that shame. <laughs> the, the, the other thing is make sure whatever systems that are identified have a identified owner and someone accountable mm -hmm. for that system. Because also, again, you might know about a box, but right, who's the owner of this box? Well, I don't know. Well, who's going <laughs> to patch it? I don't know. <laughs> so again, accountability is, is really important when you're talking about asset management. Definitely. Also, you know, what's on that box? What data is yep. there? What does it have to comply with? Um, and what risks? Which brings us into the rise of software supply chain vulnerabilities. Risks. You had mentioned you really like to chat about um, the risks that it brings and presents to the organization. Um, so what stands like when it comes to you know, software supply chain, what really stands out to you and what maybe people are forgetting um, about it? And I don't know, your, your most important points there. And I guess, do you have any horror stories that I can I can hear about? So it, it, it kind of comes to the, the whole shift if we look at software development. So back in the day, the companies developed things from the ground up. The, the whole term open source and that was, was it's relatively a new thing. Libraries and that were mainly internally developed. Go to today, um, if you look at Sonatop, I forgot the exact numbers, but you, you Sonatop did a report, uh, Google it, you'll probably find it somewhere. Um, and the, the numbers are staggering. If you look at the amounts of open source software that's been released, the open source software that's been used within organizations, it's massive. You're talking millions of libraries. And to me, if I'm an attacker, because you got to remember, attackers are going to go for the easiest way in. They're not going to spend hours and hours trying to break in. And if I were an attacker, and I say this in the talk where I give this talk about software supply chains, why would I want to spend hours and hours trying to break into an organization when I can get myself purposely injected into an organization. All I need to do is develop a library, make it seem like some useful library, get it included in, I don't know, 100 organizations, 1,000 organizations, and I suddenly have control of their networks. Well, not control of the networks, but I have a foothold into their networks, most likely in the production environment. What better way? Yeah, no, 100%. And, and I was going to mention um, that when you were talking about how many libraries there are, also there's libraries that do the same thing or, well, say they do the same thing. So very easily to become another library that you can say, oh, well, this one's more efficient um, if somebody's not checking and, you know, also validating that it's the most secure uh, version or the most up-to-date version or whatever. Yeah. But also uh, one thing I was going to say is... Um, uh, I, I remember a friend telling me about an incident that they investigated where it was an emoji um, pack for, uh, I think it was Skype actually, um, and how that, that emoji pack was malicious and it wasn't, it, I mean, obviously it's not to deal with 
you know what you do day to day probably in the development side but it was uh, it was the um, security um operations sort of side that had to deal with all these people all these employees installing this emoji pack that was malicious and it's the nightmare that that was so yeah no, I, I love that i love it, it. <laughs> it it's the sheer volume i mean I, I went through two libraries and are you talking about thousands of lines of code so you're obviously not going to review it manually even throwing scanners at it it's scanners only going to pick up so much I mean, you asked for some horror stories. So one horror story is a um, Ruby Gems library was compromised. The attackers compromised the library. They didn't touch the source code. So anyone who viewed the source code, oh, it works fine. And this was for password strength indicators. So you're like, okay, well, security library must be secure. And the attackers uh, compromised the library in the official Ruby Gems um, repository. And then that got downloaded and included in software. Oh, nice. How do you catch that? <laughs> How do you detect that? And then mm -hmm. the other thing is not just malicious things, but uh, vulnerabilities. And the prime example I love to refer to is Equifax. Oh, I love Equifax. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to take a guess how much that breach has been estimated that it costs Equifax? Do you know, actually, I'm not up to date with my numbers, so please do tell me, because I, I did look at it for quite some time, but I'm, the most recent, no, I'm not, I'm not up to date on it. I'm interested. So this one was about a few months ago. It was $1.4 billion. Damn. That's, that, that's everything. So that's like the IR, the, the mm -hmm. extra infrastructure, the funds and all of that. Yeah. But perhaps... But was is that considering um the reputational damage as well it's a good question and it's it's something that we always ask like okay what's the reputational damage for this how do you put a quantifiable amount on that mm -hmm. well i mean it's tricky it is tricky but um what i've done in the past is i've looked at you know year-on-year -year growth of the business okay. the income whatever and then um you know their their profits of the year and obviously it's going to have to be a year past yeah. what's happened but if you do like a very crude estimate of what it should be and where it is um plus obviously all the damages and remediational costs and everything added into that um um and that's kind of how I, I figured the total amount out i mean the reputational is is kind of a I mean, yeah. yeah, it's very crude estimate and it's probably not the most accurate, but it is interesting to look at because um, unless, unless a product has a massive issue like, you know, a breach, um, yeah. typically I've seen, um, you know, they're, they're increasing their business over time, you know, they're, they're improving and they're maybe not going to be all of a sudden massively better in one year versus the next, but maybe, you know, there's a bit of a, I don't know, a pattern if they've been around for a long time mind yeah. you if it's if it's a company that's been around a year and then you're estimating it a year it's not really going to be any beneficial number but someone like Equifax I feel like they should they should be able to guess that and it would just be interesting to see what what they say actually what well, the other outcome of it is the first company to have a negative credit rating now you're talking about a credit agency the, the irony of this <laughs> Credit agency with a negative credit rating because of a cyber incident. 
Oh, I remember that. That was so funny. I love it. I mean, but, it's, it's awful. Don't get me wrong. My smiling is not a good smiling, but, but it's interesting. You're right. It's really, really uh, one of a kind. And perhaps the scariest thought about this is, as I said in my talks, it's, so you got that 1.4 billion, you got the negative credit rating. Now, this is assumptions, but technically it's feasible that that whole thing could have been prevented by one line code change. Just update the version number of the library being used. Potentially, it, it might not be as simple as that, but even still, it's it's it shouldn't have been that amount of work, not like mm -hmm. millions of uh, man hours to, to update the library. See, but from my point of view as a network architect, you know, well, previously, not currently, um, I, I would approach it from this point of view. I would say, you know what, if you've designed infrastructure with these massively critical, massively valuable data, your, your infrastructure should at least recognize that that exists and build a way to protect it, you know, build, build almost, you know, layer on the controls, you know, reduce the threats, you know, make an environment that specifically says, your one doesn't say it's a network, but specifically is designed so that if something happens to one thing, it shouldn't have such a massive impact. I mean, yes, whereas yours is saying um, potentially one library, but I feel like they failed at the beginning because if it was just one library, then why was it designed that yep. way? Yep. I mean, that's that's a very valid point. Uh, defense in depth. That's that's mm -hmm. really what we should be adhering to, and it's obvious that they didn't. So. Mm -hmm. uh, so what I'm hearing is hire a sec. Uh, sorry, I always put security first because I'm. A security person, <laughs> but put AppSec person and network security person and marry them and maybe not actually because it's probably not legal, but put them together, build a solution that is much sexier and much more in depth than just saying, well, you know, we've got this designed and it's cool and it makes money. So yep. that's, yeah, that's, that's my summary for Equifax. <laughs> Okay, so no, that's really cool. So I want to touch on something that, well, you actually mentioned you want to touch on it. And I really want to touch on it because I think that a lot of people that aren't maybe security or well, even technology focused, um, they hear about all these incidents, they hear about all these breaches, they hear about security, 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 you have to be proactive, but might not know what exactly that means so let's touch on or chat about uh, tls or well for anybody that doesn't know the transport layer security also known as tls um, a very basic google definition of that is it's a cryptographic protocol used for communications between a server and a web server sorry server and a web browser apparently i'm saying server too much uh, <laughs> we use tls every day we use it when we access your website, sending emails with an apostrophe there. Is that the right one? Where it's like actually, okay, modern uh, provider emails, not all emails by default necessarily. And also uh, when using things like VoIP, which is voice over IP. Um, what is in a you know general sort of time, why, what is why does TLS matter to the everyday person? Why do they care about it? So it's really important to call out 
two things that TLS does. Um, The first one is people get this. It protects the data that you're sending. So imagine Mm -hmm. you're logging into a site, you're entering your username and password. It it makes sure that anyone between you and the server can't see your password and username. It helps protect it that way. But I often get told, well, the site's public. It has public information. So what does it matter? Why would I bother about TLS? And that's the other point. It's integrity. It's making sure that the data sent between you and the server, and if you're visiting a public site, more the server data sent to you has not been tampered with anyway. So what an attacker could do is either modify the content of the site. So if you have a user uh, phone number that you need to phone, they could modify the phone number to be their phone number. Or that's uh, a great example. A classic one was uh, the online banking. Um, they had a link to the login page, uh, but that page that was served over HTTP with that link to the login page, the attacker could just change and point that to their spoofed login page. Mm-hmm. Especially going to Equifax. I mean, in that case, <laughs> it didn't matter because they posted the wrong domain, yeah. let's be clear. But theoretically, when these breaches happen and there is updates, that's a great point. Like, that's actually what I didn't think of um, uh, stating, we're using as an example, um, because, yeah, like that could very easily be changed. Um, my, my typical example is um, when it comes to mainly because this is one that uh, comes up in the news a lot is the fake news or uh, manipulation of uh, facts and, um, you know, um, bias news sources and bias information. And that's a really good one, especially, you know, that point you make about integrity. You know, if I want to manipulate something so that, you know, you're viewing it and it convinces you of a point um, that I want you to make without you knowing I want you to make, I would provide um, inaccurate sources for you to access. Absolutely. And you got to look at some of perhaps some governments around the world. That's exactly what they would try aim to do um, (laughs) on a mass scale. Uh, So, yeah. Continue. Continue trying to do. Yeah. Well, or, that, yeah. or maybe trying is the wrong word. Continue to do. Um, yep. no, good point there, yeah. yeah. So um, as a, you know, I, I know a lot of people that are technical. They know what to look for when it comes to um, a secure connection. But what about somebody that maybe isn't as technical or maybe isn't into the whole uh, application security mindset, but but do want does want to know what are some things that maybe they could look out for to make sure that their connection is secure. Okay, so we're kind of in a transition phase. So going back uh, a few years, you would have looked for the green padlock. Um, probably not the best move on the security industry side. Looking for the green padlock just means that the connection to the site is secure. It doesn't mean that the operator of the site can be trusted. It could be a phishing site. Um, it could still be a malicious site. Um, we, we're now moving towards secure by default. So the point is the connection to the site is secure. It doesn't mean the site is legitimate. Um, mm-hmm. So certainly from that aspect, browsers are now displaying a gray padlock and not secure if the site's over HTTP. So if you see a not secure and you say browsing to your bank sites, that should set off immediate flags, like something's not right. 
my advice as well for phishing and that, especially if you get like a SMS text, um, there's a lot of phishing going on from uh, SMS text with links mm -hmm. in it, uh, even emails. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you get an email or text from someone you don't know, my advice is go directly to their website. Go to Google, get the, the site directly from Google, um, or if you can, if you know the site, go directly to it. Don't click on links. A hundred percent, a hundred percent, especially that's a great point to make being as uh, the phishing, um, um, I guess, what's the word? Um, basically, during the North American tax season is when yeah. more phishing emails um, start appearing yeah. uh, and, and you know, smishing and, you know, SMS. is phishing SMS or is that phishing? I can't remember uh, which one is. They've got funny words, okay? <laughs> Any excuse I can say, vishing, smishing, and spoofing, and all of those. I love them. They're brilliant. I'm going to say it. One of those stands for SMS. <laughs> um, <laughs> phishing emails. Uh, or phishing whatever, I give up. Yeah, but, smishing or something. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew it was one of them. Um, but I typically just say phishing because that's so well known. Yeah. But anyway. Um, it's going to happen more often coming up in the spring um, to late spring because it does follow the North American tax season, which I don't know why, but it does. Um, as well, well, probably because in the UK, for example, we don't file our own taxes. The government does it and then we file it if we have to. Yeah. Whereas in North America, Canada included in and America, um, the US, they have to all file their own taxes no matter what. So I think that's probably why, um, yep. or maybe one of the reasons. But due to that, there will be an increase. So be very mindful of that. Love the point you made about go to the site yourself. You know, if, you, if you've been there before, you know it. If it's your account, just log in through your normal process. Don't click on a link because if, if it is legitimate, it's going to show up in there, but not be you know, there's not that risk of them wow. not being legitimate. So love that point you made. Where could a learner or a listener, sorry, uh, learn more about you, about these, you know, brilliant points you're making? Uh, maybe they're interested in learning more about AppSec. What are some really good resources that you would point them to? So I run a blog. So blog.sean-write.com. Um, I try and blog regularly on there. Um, uh, so just to be just to be clear, it's blog b l o g dot sean s e a n dot write as in w r i g h t. Yeah, half in between dash whatever minus dash. between. Okay. Dash between. Just to be clear, because I know that both Sean and Wright, both of your names can be written very differently. Yep. Um, I will include a link in the, uh, um, I guess, description, but just in case people don't read that, which I will be offended if they don't. Okay, maybe a bit offended. <laughs> so also on Twitter, I'm quite active. Um, please, please, if you ever want information, just DM me. I'm Sean Wright Sec. Um, there are some other good resources. John Optenaker, I get his name wrong, surname wrong all the time. Absolutely. You better not than me. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> 
There we go. Jono. <laughs> uh, AppSec bloke in that. Um, those guys are really useful. Uh, I would try to explain or uh, give their sites, but I don't know them off the top of my head. Uh, another good resource is OWASP. Uh, that's oh, Open yes. Web Application Security uh, Project. Uh, they in the process of tidying it up and that. They, they seem to be doing quite a good job with that. So mm -hmm. certainly visit that. Um, SANS has a bit. Uh, yeah, and I'd I, I definitely say Twitter. Um, I joined Twitter about just over two years ago. And the amount of I've learned in that time is just been phenomenal. So it is a fantastic way to learn new things, keep up to date, interact, meet new people, get advice. I'd say it's probably my best tool, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's uh, going back to the whole how people work and how we function. We're very collaborative beings. And right. the benefit of Twitter, 100%, is building that community and reaching out to people that are obsessed with the same things you're obsessed with, but also have a bit more knowledge on one side that you don't have. Um, right. So that's brilliant. I agree. Um, follow you on Twitter, 100%. Read up on your blog. Awesome. Also, check out, um, do you have a recording of the talk that you did on software supply chain? Um, I don't I, know what conference I do. Um, so I did one in SteelCon. Uh, I okay. think I've, it'll be in my blog if you... Go to talks. I think there's a link somewhere in my blog um, that has the recording. I did one recently at a local uh, university in Glasgow as well. I don't think the recording's out for that yet, but I'll include the link as soon as it is. As it Brilliant. Is. So they can tune in for that as well then. Um, what does the future hold? Just as the closing off, what does the future hold for you, Sean? <laughs> Good question. Um, <laughs> So, so one thing I do is I, I, I really love AppSec and equally I love helping people. So my goal, along with the others as part of the BF Fathers, uh, is, is to help it, uh, other people in the community, help people get involved, help people um, learn new things, become aware, like raise awareness. Um, mm -hmm. we, we're not going to solve or everything, but you know what? If we help one or two people, that's a win. Um, and that's really my goal is, is just to help people along, um, grow myself, learn new things, and in the process, helping others do the same thing. That is a brilliant way to end episode three. So check out Sean on Twitter and his blog, and being as your goal is to help others, um, just share knowledge and um, educate and raise awareness that is brilliant and people can reach out to you uh, reach out to me if you don't know any of the links that I've said and I for some reason put them in wrong um, but that's awesome uh, thank you so much for being on show or episode or whatever this podcast is called um, and, oh, thank you for having me forward, yeah looking forward to seeing your talk come out soon then as well Fantastic. Uh, looking forward to um, listening to this and helping <laughs> others out. And thank you again. It's been a real pleasure and honor. Cheers.